It's another episode of the Metal Rock and Whiskey Podcast. I'm not Sailor, and if that's who you were expecting, well, you've got another thing coming. So, Sailor informed us that she will be a little late for the show tonight. Apparently, she was leading a tasting of flavored Canadian whiskeys and was having so much fun they lost track of time. Oops. And as for Jake, well, he told us he was feeling a little under the weather, but there was some debate about what that actually meant. Hmm. Yeah, we love you, Jake. We're going to miss you tonight. But uh, for all you listeners out there that might be new to the show, what we do here, we typically compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, usually argue, very professionally debate the merits, and in the end, only one album or artist reigns supreme. And tonight, would you believe it, we are doing just that again. Do you believe that? We're on a roll, aren't we? I do believe we are. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, tonight we'll be discussing another in a line of legendary metal bands, Judas Priest. And we will be battling Screaming for Vengeance versus Painkiller. Now, I think it's going to be interesting to see which album comes, on top, comes out on top. And given that there's three of us tonight, there's a very slim chance we'll end up in a tie. Like we <laughs> normally have been doing. Yes. But before we get into my whiskey segment, uh, let me ask you guys, what's, uh, what's everyone drinking tonight? Ed? Well, it's the, <clears throat> it's the dead of summer. It's been hot. And so I've always said I wanted to do it, and I finally made myself up a batch of bourbon slush. Oh, very cool. Very good. It's a couple cans. You use the frozen lemme concentrate, frozen orange concentrate, um, a little bit of unsweetened iced tea, and of course, bourbon and a little bit of water, and mix it all together, freeze it overnight, scoop it up in your cup. Good stuff. And I'm sure the listeners are wondering what bourbon you used for this delicious Oh, yes. And and you want to use a lower proof bourbon for this, so it does freeze at least somewhat. So for this one, I used one of my favorite lower proof bourbons, Evan Williams Black Label. Solid. Well, I have something pretty unique. Kind of. Got all my handwritten notes on my papyrus here. He's got to make up for Jake not being here. Well, I will say, guys, out of out of the three of us here, I am probably the least fan of Judas Priest. I'm not huge into them, um, but we'll get into that later when we talk about the albums. But this was a difficult choice for me. Um, I usually just like to pick from what I have in stock in my bar or what I can, you know, if I go to a store and I look around and something catches my eye and I can make the connection, I do that. Um, but honestly, with a band like Judas Priest, with the longevity and the influence they've had on the metal genre, like how do you narrow it down to one single expression? But I didn't need to find a brand 
and an expression from that brand that had the same longevity and impact on the whiskey world that Judas Priest has had on the metal world. So for today's whiskey segment, I chose a brand that actually Sailor has become quite familiar with lately, and that is Tullamore Dew. Mm. And the particular expression is Phoenix. Named for the town uh, of Tullamore, actually, where the original distillery was built, uh, I believe in 1838, uh, there is a phoenix, an image of a phoenix on the town's coat of arms, which is where the symbol comes from, obviously. Hmm. Now, like most Irish whiskey producers and distilleries, Tullamore do, like I said, has had a long history. The original distillery, like many, many other Irish distilleries, closed down and ceased production in like the mid-20th century, 1950s. Uh, due to many factors, including you know U.S. prohibition, uh, hefty taxes that were being levied. Uh, at this point in history, the style of whiskey was actually nearly completely obsolete. I think there was only maybe one or two operating distilleries in the entire country. As the 90s came, ran into the 2000s, uh, fortunate for us, Irish whiskey saw a steady increase in popularity and sales uh, with the purchase of the brand by William Grant & Sons in 2010. And their expansion of the brand, uh, which includes some of the single malts now available, uh, Tullamore Dew has become the second best-selling Irish whiskey in the world. Tullamore Dew Phoenix uh, is a non-chill filtered Irish whiskey coming in at a high 110 proof. The expression is finished in Oloroso sherry casks, and like the flagship Tullamore Dew Green Label, is a blend of grain whiskey, malt whiskey, and pure pot still Irish whiskey, with a high quantity of the pure pot still juice. Originally, this was only available as a travel retail exclusive, but then became available in limited quantities in the United States soon after. Now, I would not necessarily recommend this particular expression for the everyday Irish whiskey drinker. It's certainly not as approachable um, as most, in my opinion. Uh, what it lacks in approachability, it certainly makes up for in its robust flavors. Now, from my tasting notes on this Tullamore Dew Phoenix... In the glass, this whiskey greets you with aromas of butterscotch caramel, a pinch of nutmeg, and very subtle dark chocolate. After letting it sit for a bit, I found some tropical citrus notes bleeding through as well. On the palate, the whiskey is medium-bodied with a bit of an oily mouthfeel. I get the caramel and a nice robust spiciness, which I expected coming from the high percentage of single pot still juice in this blend. There is such enough, uh, there's just enough sweetness in there to balance that spice out for me. The finish is extremely long and really stayed with me for quite some time uh, after finishing my glass. Like I said before, this is not, for me, your everyday Irish whiskey drinker's Irish whiskey. Uh, it does drink, despite my, my tasting notes, it does drink hot. I would actually recommend this expression to some of my higher proof bourbon drinkers out there. I think it, if you're looking to get into Irish, I think this might be a good gateway. Uh, if you're lucky enough to see a bottle somewhere, grab it. Uh, it is that limited. Uh, if you drink enough of this, uh, I can tell you uh, it can serve as a painkiller. Whilst having you, <laughs> whilst having you scream for vengeance, and that Boom. is my cheesy album pun, and my whiskey segment. Nice tie-in. Yes. So let's get into this album. Who wants to go first? Screaming for vengeance. Well, 
this album is basically two songs for me. Electric Eye and you've got another thing coming. And a bunch of blah, 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 blah in between. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. That's kind of unfair. Actually, there <laughs> no, are a couple not. of other songs yes, that were fairly decent. Riding on the Wind was okay. Um, Bloodstone and Fever I marked down. Um, everything else I could I could pass on. But honestly, if I'm going to listen to this album, I'm going to probably, 90% of the time, I'm going to listen to Electric Eye, and you've got another thing coming and skip over everything else. <laughs> Not to sound too harsh, but that's just reality. Well, to piggyback off what you just said, Ed, I will say that halfway through this album, I was screaming for help. <laughs> Damn. You need somebody help. I wanted help. to throw my phone through the freaking window. Oh my god, um, the fuck, you guys? Uh, other than, I will say, other than the title track and uh, you've got another thing coming, this album just really didn't impress me at all, I gotta say. Not even Electric Eye? Nope. Nothing. Oh, my God. Nothing. That's like one of my Such favorite song. Judas Priest songs, period. Yeah. It's just very, agree. very underwhelming for me. I was hmm. very disappointed, actually. Whoa. Very disappointed. That's, ta- wow, that's really strong opinion. Yeah. Um. So, okay, can we talk about this album maybe from like a little bit more of a bird's eye view? You know, the time and let's drop it into the time and place. Um, I mean, this is considered an album that, I mean, for its time, it was, you know, it was kind of groundbreaking. I mean, yeah, it's definitely of its time. Um, A lot of these songs on here. um the guitars are definitely the the early 80s rock guitars. It is of its time. I don't think it ages well at all. That's just my opinion. But, I mean, I mean, what else do you have going on at the time? You have Ozzy, solo Ozzy stuff, which I think just blows this away. I mean, different, but, I mean, you listen to you know, a lot of, yeah. Let me say something else, too. First of all, a little more general. Um statement about judas priest i really didn't realize they'd been around as long as they had been Mm -hmm. oh yeah i couldn't believe it i mean they are genuinely one of the founders of heavy metal when you look at how long yes of course they've been around and they paid their dues i had no idea about how you know from after watching their documentary and listening to these albums even in like the late 70s, I can see how they kind of almost set a standard for metal in the 80s. They absolutely did. And that's what I think is happening with this album. So, you know, I think I think this album is such a great representation of that standard that had been set at that time, late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, we've discussed in the past that unlike today, those years in between, let's say like, you know, 79 and 1982, there wasn't a huge change like there is now. You know, things took a little bit longer to transition. Um, and just to give you guys a little bit of perspective, 
What you've got going on in music in 1982 is a lot of standards being set. So perhaps if you think about it this way, you've got Thriller that came out in 1982. Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast came out in 1982. You've got um, The Cure coming out with Pornography in 1982. You've got Prince's 1999, Duran Duran's Rio. I mean, you've got you've got a lot of, there's a lot of different groundbreaking genres that are being established at this time and and they're screaming for vengeance and i believe it is fair that that is among the ranks of these other albums um because they did really set the standard in that sound i mean rob halford's vocals you know how many bands you know metal bands use that operatic type you know vocal style Mm-hmm. He's one of the first to do it in heavy metal the way they did it. And, but also and I'm glad to, he did. Yeah, to too, cut. because I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, it's fine. You brought up a point, uh, something I was thinking about. How if you look at his, I saw a performance from, I think it's their one of their first albums. It was Rockarola. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. so live bad. performance the. I was watching, listening to him sing, and it sounded like he was almost trying to emulate Robert Plant. Well, I was, was seeing. He thank you for saying so that because like I was going to say that he's kind of. I would put him sort of at the forefront of that, and Halford just kind of emulating him because well, he was they, one of his main influences. Well, they they were definitely doing the Zeppelin, the the Black Sabbath, you know, oh, all yeah, that. Oh, the early in the stuff here, a lot of Sabbath in. Mm-hmm. But British yeah. Steel changed everything, and then you know, with Vengeance, they they completely abandoned all of that and went went right for metal. And these days, you know, I think a lot of people would classify them as hard rock, which I think is very very fair. Um, and and they they kept leaning more into hard rock as well to be a little bit more commercially successful again, which kind of established their sound. And I think that's what is important about this album is you feel them kind of bridge the hard rock and the metal of the early eighties in a, in in an approachable way. And I think that's what, that's what their sound is. I think that's what, that is what they encompass. So I think historically, this album is amazing. I think it's phenomenal for its time. Does it age well today? Maybe not. But some of the songs on this album are absolutely iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Electric Eye, I totally agree with you. You've got another thing coming, obviously. It's like, it, it's it's an it's a metal anthem these days, you know? Um, I also feel like, uh, bloodstone and, uh, screaming for vengeance, the title track. I think these are great songs as well. Um, riding the wind is another really great song. Maybe riding the wind is maybe not as hooky and catchy, but it's still, if you look at it from the musical, a musical perspective, if you look at, you know, the guitar work, like the dueling guitar work, I mean, this was all so, groundbreaking at the time and so that's kind of how i like to look at this album now let me ask you oh, yeah so, yeah oh, go ahead i say how many other bands at the time had two lead guitars right not many I mean, come on yeah right if any and and the way i think also the way one of the things that i that 
I have always liked about Iron Maiden, um, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, that I found, <laughs> I was just looking at that album from 82, um, that I find so interesting about them is the way Rob Halford's vocals would tie into these two lead guitarists and how they would kind of orchestrate all of that. And I, and I use the term orchestrate very purposefully because I feel like that's what it was. They were mm-hmm. orchestrating this very specific sound and this very specific synergy. Um, and I think that also is what they establish in this album, more so even than British Steel. Because um, this album is different. It's very different than British Steel. You know, both commercially successful, but this was the album that did it. This is their breakthrough album for them in their career, but this is also a groundbreaking album in metal at the time. Mm-hmm. Now I was going to ask you sailor, uh, and we talked about this with anthrax last week, as far as uh, signature albums go. And we both thought among the living was anthrax signature album. Now, historically. Okay. Um, genre breaking. Okay. But would you consider this as many people think it, it is their signature album? Would you think this is their signature album? Going through Absolutely. their whole catalog. Absolutely. Okay. Hands down, yeah. Yeah. I do. I think this is kind of the epitome of their sound. Um, I think this was like a sweet spot for them. Because I do feel that they live in... A, and, and this happens to some bands. They kind of live in a specific time. You know, they continue to make... Mo- they, they continue to make albums and although they do make write new material in modern times they're still in my opinion hearkening back to the time that was their sweet spot you know their heyday and there's enough fans that want to hear that and want more versions of that sound i don't think that judas priest's last album is necessarily what a modern metal or hard rock album you know would be they're still making judas priest and that's that's fine to me mm-hmm. you know that's you don't always have to completely evolve you can just do what you do really really well and it's why we're still talking about them that's why we're sitting here talking yeah. about them you know so um yeah so that's is that is there anything else that you guys want to say about screaming for vengeance or this uh, breakthrough album? Not too much. I'm just kind of glad that I finally got around to listening to this album. This first time, you know, I'm really glad I've had the uh, the chance to do that here for these two albums. Yeah. Sorry, folks. Just didn't like it. Well, for Sorry. me, it's fun yeah. going back and, like, revisiting this stuff and listening to it with a different ear and a fresh perspective and kind of, you know... I don't know, I didn't really, like, look too deep into these things when they came out, because it was just music that I liked, it was there, I'd buy the album, you know, whatever, Um, you kind of, I don't know, it was kind of like a take it for granted thing, so it's fun to go back and, like, really look at it with the perspective from 2018 and be like, wow, holy shit, you know? And usually I can, I can appreciate, I can certainly appreciate the historical significance of an album at the time it's released. And maybe I overlooked that with this, maybe a little bit. And Sailor, maybe you brought that a little bit more into focus uh, for me, anyway, uh, considering the time it was released. But yeah, I mean, just I don't know. There's just something missing there for me. That's it. Fair and enough. what do you, when you say something's missing for you? What do you can you pinpoint what that is? Well, I just I listen to their whole catalog, and to me, it's an in, it's in between. 
Because I feel like even at this point, their sound has evolved from their first album until this through British Steel and on this album. And I feel like sure. they're still not what I know Judas Priest to be. That's just my personal mm-hmm. opinion. Interesting. But we'll get into that. So okay. just yeah. real quick, um, to just give you a snapshot of metal at the time. Okay, what was released, let's just focus on just what was being released in quote-unquote heavy metal. So you had, obviously, Screaming for Vengeance. You had Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. You had Metal on Metal from Anvil. You had um, Blackout by the Scorpions. Battle Hymns by Manowar. Iron Fist from Motorhead. Under the Blade by Twisted Sister. Black Metal by Venom. Creatures of the Night by Kiss. Fuck them. <laughs> Diver Down <laughs> by Van Halen. Um, and I uh, wouldn't say Van Halen was a metal album. Well, I'd say that was they, hard rock. They well, were cons- called but... metal at the time. Remember, we're, we're, we're living in this time period at the moment. Mm. They were. Um, okay. It's not a good speak, album, though. Speak, well, regardless, yeah. I'm just talking yeah, yeah. about what was really well, okay, okay, okay. Right. Um, Speak of the Devil by Ozzy Osbourne. Um, One Voice at a Time by Crocus. Uh, let's see what else would be important. Um, I mean, I think that gives you a good idea um, mm-hmm. of what's what had what was released that year. So, you know, if you put all that up against each other and you look at that time frame in music, if you were to so all those bands that I just listed, I feel like go and listen to like two tracks. From just take at least five of those albums and listen to two tracks and then go back and listen to this again and tell me that this doesn't stand out. That's that's I'm gonna challenge you guys to do that and I wanna know what your thoughts would be. Just no, just the releases, just the releases at the time. If you feel like it's, it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be that you like it or enjoy it, but just that do you feel that it stands out is really all I'm looking for. That makes sense. Okay. So, all right. Let's move on to the next album, shall we? We're going to talk about Painkiller. So this is Judas Priest's 12th studio album. It was released in September of 1990. So we are jumping way ahead here. This is the last album to feature Rob Halford as frontman, and it's the first to feature drummer Scott Travis. Also, Painkiller is the first album that was not produced by Tom Alon since 1978. This album was completed in March of 1990, but was not released right away due to a heavily publicized subliminal message trial that july (sighs) how many times have we talked about this shit with these bands i don't even remember that trial i know i saw 
you know what I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember it back at the time hearing about it. Oh That's my got, god, it was all over the news. Sally Jesse maybe Raphael. I just it on my memory. <laughs> you must have interviewed the parents. It was oh my god, it was it was massive. Um we need to do a show on the witch hunt in metal in the eighties. We really should because yeah. So you wanna briefly Tell the listeners yes. what this trial is we're speaking of. So the band was subject of a lawsuit alleging that their recording was responsible for the suicide attempts of two young men in Reno, Nevada in 1985. The case was eventually dismissed in August of 1990. So that is a long period of time. So apparently what happened is these two kids made a um, suicide pact and they were big fans of Judas Priest. And uh, they went to a park or a playground or something. One guy blew his head off, died right away. The other guy did not die right away. Um, he survived for, I think, uh, two years, maybe two, three years, and mm-hmm. then died of complications from his injuries. Um, and the parents, as this ha- this is the thread amongst all of these stories, the parents are obviously so distraught that they are looking for someone to blame and a reason. And sadly, you know, suicide just doesn't work like that. So um, since they were huge Judas Priest fans, they um, targeted Judas Priest and um, had some, uh, uh, I think, I think it was um, one of the parents reverend from their church or something, um, identify subliminal messages in some of the tracks on one of the albums, which is... Well, that was absurd. the thing, was they had to use that as um, their accusation because they couldn't use the lyrics mm-hmm. because of the you know free speech or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they had to say they were doing something to incite yep. the, the action. And yep. so they tried to prove that there was the some subliminal message in there yep so of course the case like i said was dismissed after a a long battle many many years um and again you know i can't imagine how this would affect bands i mean how horrible can you imagine you know being accused like your music Mm -hmm. these poor kids that's just horrific but, you know, it's what was happening at the time, sadly. So anyway, to move along from that, um, the reception to this album was overwhelmingly positive. It received a Grammy nomination for Best Metal Performance. It lost out to <laughs> Metallica's <laughs> cover of Queen's Stoled Cone Cold Crazy. Crazy. Lame. You lose out to a band that did a cover. Just fuck. Okay. Anyway. Um, it was a good cover, though. It's yeah, okay, whatever. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and hey, Don Airy from Deep Purple played keys on this album. Um, he kind of played keys on everyone's albums for a while there, often uncredited. I mean, you name it at the time, usually he was the guy on keys. Um, although at this point, they're starting to really break away from using synthesizers and things like that in their music. Um, the two breakout singles from this album were Touch of Evil and the title track Painkiller. And uh, so the title track, or the, sorry, the track listing for this album is Painkiller, Hell Patrol, All Guns Blazing, Leather Rebel, Metal Meltdown, Nightcrawler, Between the Hammer and Anvil, A Touch of Evil, Battle Him, and One Shot at Glory. So let me just mention one thing as well before we get into this album, because 
you know, I did not do, you know, go through the timeline like I typically do. Um, earlier this year, Glenn Tipton um, revealed that he had Parkinson's disease. We did discuss that on the show at one point. Um, and he said he would be stepping down from touring after many years actually battling the disease. Um, he said that really his challenge was to play the more complex material, but he would try to make appearances um, in live shows to play a few songs when he could. And he has done so. And at this point seems um, to be able to continue to do so. So that's really awesome to hear. Um, they do have other musicians that fill in for him on the rest of the stuff, um, you know, and can do consistent touring. So right now, um, no one is talking about retiring or the band retiring, um, at the moment. So that's really awesome to hear. But, um, so let's go back to, um, the release of this album and talk about painkiller. Well, I think it's kind of ironic that it's called painkiller given this was like the last album that Rob Halford recorded before being like hospitalized for being addicted to painkillers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and an accident with his motorcycle. That's right. On stage, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. okay, let me tell you guys a quick story. So, I saw Judas Priest. <sighs> I can't remember the exact years. I know that it was um, probably 88, 87, 80, 89. I saw them, I think, three times um, for two different albums. Um, and the last time I saw them, Cinderella opened <laughs> for them. <laughs> And oh. <laughs> uh, my the girl that went, I couldn't find at the time anyone to go with me that liked Judas Priest. This girl was like, oh, Cinderella's opening for them. I'll go with you. I was like, sweet. Um, and so she wanted to get there early because apparently you could win meeting Cinderella. And I was like, could give a shit about Cinderella. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, Tom Kiefer sounds like a dead cat being swung around <laughs> inside of, you know, I don't know, the grouch or something. Um, <laughs> so, we, we went early, and um, she did not win, sadly for her, um, seeing meeting Cinderella. But what we did get to see, which was funny, is so, if you wanted, if you were in this, like, pool... You could get to go into like the lobby of this giant stadium and uh, we could see some sound check going on and they were practicing Rob Halford. If you've ever seen Judas Priest, hopefully you've seen this. I don't know if he does it anymore, um, but he used to ride his motorcycle down the aisle and onto the stage and there would be like pyrotechnics and it was like, oh, yeah. you know, it would start mm. off with like vroom, vroom. And you didn't know which speaker it was coming from. And oh, is it to the right? And is it to the left? And, oh my God, it's so cool. Uh, so um, he rode his motorcycle himself um, through venues onto stages with pyrotechnics and, you know, accidents are bound to happen when you're doing shit like this. And, um, unfortunately he got injured very seriously, um, and play finished the freaking show and then went to the hospital and oh, his injuries, man. his injuries were so serious that they were like, I do not know how you <sighs> stood for that long, wow. no less sang and performed. So then that's when the whole um, painkiller thing happened because it was from that horrible accident. Oh, okay. Mm. That makes sense. Ironic, though. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, so what do you guys think about this album? Who wants to go Well, I wasn't familiar with any of these songs. Um, Because none of these, I think, were really big hits. Um, But interestingly enough, I think overall, I think that there were no songs that I really disliked on this album. All these songs... I think were decent and it's funny you mentioned the two songs i think stood out for me were the two that you you brought up painkiller and a touch of evil i thought were like the two standout songs in this album but um overall all every single song on here i thought was at least a decent song um now on screaming for vengeance there are some songs on there i just didn't like but I can't say anything say about that on this album. That that's my initial impression um, after listening to this. How about you, Matt? What do you think? Well, not being a big Priest fan, my favorite Priest song is on this album, and that's Hell Patrol. Fucking love oh, okay. that song. Um, but I can. This is an album I can fucking get behind because I think that it's edgier. Um, I think that. It's edgier, it's heavier, it's faster. Uh, Scott Travis, the drummer on this album, is fucking amazing. Uh, and everything is just sharp and clean. Uh, the solos, Tipton and Downing, are just on point. Uh, his lyrics are fierce. Uh, vocals, the stuff of legend on this album, I will say. Um, you know, and with... Between uh, Screaming for Vengeance and Painkiller, they, and I'm sure a lot of Priest fans will say this, they kind of lost their way a little bit. I mean, they 86 was Turbo, and 88 was Ram It Down, I think was the album that was released. And they play with a couple of different things on those albums, but definitely not to the success that they had with Screaming for Vengeance. And I think that uh, they went for broke on this album. Um, and I think that they hit a home run. So that's, I fucking love it. Not being a priest fan. I fucking love it as a metal fan. I love this yeah. album. It's definitely a metal fans album. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love this album. I think this album is fantastic. Hell Patrol also, I love that song. Metal Meltdown and Nightcrawler. Those three songs are my absolute fate. Well, and Touch of Evil as well. They're my favorite songs on this album. I think this is such a fantastic... I would... For me, I think this is their best album ever. Um, Hmm. I think... They they were... They sped up their tempo. It's fast. It's furious. They were definitely, um, I think they were comfortable. I agree with you. The album's in between. Totally, Matt. I think they got comfortable with their sound. I think they got comfortable in their place. I think there was a little bit of shit going on behind the scenes, which always seems to fuel better music (laughs) sometimes. It's true. Um, I mean, it's, you know, what do they say about, you know, art and pain? Um, I think this was, I agree with you on the go for broke. I think this was just them kind of unleashing it. Um, And I would have to stay, I would have to say like they're, they have their anthems, you know, um, breaking the law, living after midnight. And those are great songs. Those are great 
hard rock party anthems. But I would say I think some of their best songs they've ever written, for in my opinion, are on this album. I, I would, would say Hell Patrol, Metal Meltdown, two, I think two of the best songs they've ever written, in my opinion. Um, Battle Hymn is also freaking fantastic. Um, I think this is a really solid album. I think from start to finish, they're all fantastic songs. I don't think there is one song on this album that I would throw away. That's really rare for me. So this yeah, this album right here is I, I think it's the best showcase of their their them at their best. I, I agree. This from beginning the from beginning to end, I did not I was not disappointed at all. So there was no sleepers on this album for me either. Um, and you know, we're you know, going back to your point about the first album about screaming for vengeance, you know, you talking about them being maybe ahead of the curve and that album was different than what was going on as you said and i think along the way somehow they went from being in front of the eight ball to being behind the eight ball and i think that this was their attempt to maybe make up lost ground but in doing so i think they found to me anyway their perfect sound and this this i just fucking love it you know going into this I'm thinking, okay, we've got an album screening for Vengeance, which has two of my favorite Judas Priest songs against an album of songs that I've never heard of. I'm like, you know, this is no contest. But after listening to these two albums, I think as an overall album, I'm going to have to give the nod to Painkiller for this one. Mm. You know, this is honestly, a, this is so yeah. incredible. As much because, as it pains me yeah. to say that, yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Ed. Like, I wanted Screaming for Vengeance to be. It, it's just again, Screaming for Vengeance is so fucking phenomenal for yeah. its time. Yeah, I mean, it has two fantastic. You're absolutely right. It's got one of their most. It's the biggest metal anthems ever on it. Period. Um, but God, when you put it up against Painkiller. There's just no contest, in my opinion. They're just... I want it to be, but there just isn't. I thought yep. it would be harder for me. I went into it going, oh, these two albums are going to be really hard for me to decide, being a Judas Priest fan. And I sat down and listened to them back to back, and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, you guys were ma- you guys were making me nervous because it had sounded like you guys were all in on <laughs> Screaming for Vengeance. And... Eh. You know what this means? Oh, shit. <laughs> this means that we actually have a winner this week. <laughs> ding, Not ding, only ding. that, but even if Jake was a dissenter, we yep. still have a winner. Yeah. Okay, but do you really think Jake would have gone with Scream? No. No, he would have fucking picked like no. No Shred- no I would shit. predict <laughs> he'd go to Painkiller. No it's all phil- philosophical Absol- and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Love you, but Jake. But even, even, even though we all agree on this, again, please do go back and do that challenge that I posed for you guys to... You know, take a couple of those albums that came out, you know, albums that were considered metal at the time. Um, You know, I always want to be careful when I say that. And listen to some of the songs off of them. Go back to Screaming for Vengeance. Listen to it again. And I would like to know if it's 
any different for you of an experience. I would just be curious. Um, but painkiller, hands down, it's a landslide, is the winner. If you are not a Priest fan and you are interested in listening to a kick-ass Priest album, Painkiller is the album for sure. There you go. Yes. All right. So now having gotten that out of the way, we have a little bit of unfinished business <laughs> Shit. from a previous episode. That's <laughs> true. Mm. <laughs> oh, All right. Thinking back to our sound garden. We were tied boop, on that boop. one. I think it was Sailor and I. Yeah. Were Bad Motor Finger. Yeah. Jake and Matt were super unknown. We put it to the Facebook group. Again, for those that voted, we ended up in another tie. <laughs> so we are in this double morning, overtime now. <laughs> I put it to our Instagram followers, and just by the slimmest of margins, Bad Motor Finger wins out. Boom, motherfuckers. Ha. I'm disappointed in all of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Matt. Yeah. I'll there get you, you next time. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, wait. Maybe we will. <laughs> Actually, we have another one that we have to put to our listeners. Yes. So, so what is that? Thank you guys for helping us out with Soundgarden and uh, thank you for being so smart and so having such amazing music taste to side with me. Um, JK. We did not we don't have a result from Anthrax. So we are going to need your help deciding on um, Anthrax and we put it to two kind of three albums um we're not really voting on the third one but um so we're gonna put that up um on the facebook group and we'll also put it up on instagram so that you can help with the tiebreaker there cool all right so we just want to give a huge thanks to all of our listeners and ask you to join us next week for another episode of the Metal Rock and Wispy, 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 the Wispy, Wispy. Oh, forget about that. What's everybody been listening to? You got anything new? Yes. So, um, I haven't mentioned them on the show in a little bit, but um, definitely you guys need to listen to our very good friends at Please Excuse My Dead Aunt Sally. Hilarious podcast. Um, good stuff. What is it about? Who the fuck knows? It's just <laughs> funny as shit. And um, they do a really great job. You may hear um, myself every once in a while calling in. You can call in and pose questions or make comments, which is super fun. Um, and you know what? You get really good answers back. I had a really serious question for them, and I was impressed with the answer. So, like, that was life-changing. Um, yeah, I was not expecting been... that. Yeah, exactly. Um, new podcast I've been listening to is called Rise to Offend. Um, they touched on a subject that we briefly brought up on this podcast. I'm not going to talk about exactly what it is because I don't want to give any more attention to this shithead but um really great podcast um the this group that does it are fantastic um they actually um 
interviewed, oh crap, who do they interview from Anthrax? Now I'm going to forget um, because I, I have a really bad memory. and Scott I Ian? No, it wasn't Scott Ian. Um, <laughs> he's the only one I know. That's why I asked. It's not Scott Ian. Well, everybody knows Scott Ian because he's on... He's, he's like, on all the shows. He lives this, at the VH1 studio. Anytime there's an interview to be had about another rock band, know, there's Scotty. So was it uh, Benante? Yeah, it was Charlie Benante. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was a really good discussion um, that they had with him, which I, I really, really liked. They, they covered a lot of really interesting subjects. But um, yeah, like they, they, I thought I was controversial and... Um, said inappropriate shit. God damn, they make me sound like a little church mouse. So really love that podcast. Definitely check it out. And um, while we're at it, I just want to take a moment to give a little shout out to our friend Scotch Trooper. If you do not follow him on Instagram, I highly suggest you do. He can oh, also be stuff. found on Facebook. Um, if you want to see some crazy talent you know, even you do not have to be into whiskey and scotch to appreciate this. Um, you also don't have to be into Star Wars to appreciate this, although that is the subject, whiskey and Star Wars. He just does some phenomenal art. Um, it all started out with, a, you know, a Star Wars figurine and some whiskey and just turned into something so amazing and so phenomenal. So um, us here at Metal Rock and Whiskey give our support. Um, we stand with Scotch Trooper. We think he's freaking awesome. And uh, thanks for your thanks for the happiness and pleasure that you give all of us. Scotch Trooper, we love you. We do. Anybody else got anything? Well, <laughs> uh, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan, uh, and I try to catch as many episodes of his as possible. And he had Steven Tyler on recently, and how Is this motherfucker? Well, my point exactly. <laughs> after <laughs> listening, <laughs> after listening to this man for two and a half hours, oh my God. tell his stories, uh, and he's a weird, he's a weird, weird oh, no dude. Shit. Like he, he is out there. Um, but after listening to his stories from the seventies and eight, how this guy is still alive is beyond human. It's beyond my capacity for rational thought. Doesn't that blow your mind? Like <laughs> how this man is see, still alive. Um, Ozzy Osbourne and uh, Joe Perry and <laughs> Keith Richards. Keith, that's There's one thing. No Keith Richards, Keith not Joe Richard Perry. Keith Richards is actually a human being yeah. anymore. I know, it's not but possible. And maybe, and I'll probably maybe I'll delve into them at some point when I see an interview <laughs> or read a book or something. But just listening to this for two and a half hours was absolutely incredible. So, I mean, if you want a little slice of that, I would recommend checking that episode out. How the how the balls do you get him to sit? upright for two and a half hours and talk like that's, that's what the, I know. that's the weird thing is that he looks healthy he sounds what? great he looks great yeah i know it's i mean i know he got sober somewhere in the late 80s is he still sober to talk about that he talks about it all the time he talks about how he always has the urge for it um i guess he had at one of their shows in like the late 2000s i guess he had fallen off the stage and like like separated a shoulder or something like that. And then he got addicted to painkillers and then he was in rehab for that. And they almost kicked them out of the band actually management and, and they almost, they had like a mutiny. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't we Um, talk about that on the Aerosmith episode? I think so. Yeah. Briefly, briefly. Um, but I mean, 
yeah, it's just he just he just tells these stories. It's just it boggles your mind. Absolutely boggles your mind. Do you tell the story about leaving the lyrics in the taxi cab? He did. Yes. It's <laughs> my favorite he did. story. Yes. <laughs> and so. he, but mostly he 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 focused on how the band thought he was full of shit. Like, yeah, you left it in the taxi, sure. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> fucking high and drunk and didn't write my the lyrics to the song. Yeah, exactly. It's possible that he, he is full of shit. It's possible, yeah, because it's uh, the thing with that band, it's always him against everybody else. So, but that's yeah. a story and he's sticking to it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good episode though, check cool. it out. I'm I'm definitely going to listen to that. I'm super intrigued. Yeah. All right, so should we end this shit? Let's end it. All right, I'm going to end it. it. I'll bring it home. All right. So to all of our listeners, our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey Obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback, of course. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes. Please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Uh, yours truly. You can find me and my great Instagram profile at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E Ed. And everyone can find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek Sailor. I am Sailor Retro on the internets, and you can find Jake as Bourbon Spartan on Instagram. And I guess I'm doing the outro tonight since we don't have Jake. So uh, should I do it like Jake or should I do it like Torben? <laughs> I don't think I can do Torben's mm. voice. <laughs> I don't think anyone can take Torben's place. I don't think so. <laughs> so this was a lot of fun. Um, I hope that you listeners enjoyed it as much as we enjoy sitting around getting shit face on whiskey and talking about awesome bands. But um, now my glass is empty and it's time to go. Be sure to tip your waitress and we're out of here. Fuck you, Lars. Adios. Later, everyone. Bye-bye. I love you more than my girl.